0: You're listening to the Fade to Grey Network. Nothing going your way? You've had a bad day. You need to keep it simple. Just chat with Seth and take a deep breath. He's not just gay; he's mental. Welcome to my podcast, Mental. My name is Seth Showalter. And I am a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Missouri. You may know me from the Fade to Grey podcast. In fact, this podcast is being launched as part of the Fade to Grey network. And let's be honest, this podcast would not be possible without my involvement with the Fade to Grey team and the experiences I have gained in interviewing people and working on that team. I have been wanting to put out a podcast dedicated to mental health for quite some time. While I've had this desire, I've been pretty hesitant. I put out a segment called Mental for a while on the Fade to Gray podcast as like a test run, but the truth of the matter is that mental health is both an expansive but treacherous subject matter. The truth is that even as a mental health professional with over five years of experience in the field, there are things that I am going to get wrong. I strive to be relevant and up to date with the latest changes and the things that are happening. But I am human. Human behavior is complex. Therefore, let me share this up front. I can provide clinical expertise and recommendations to assist you, but at the end of the day, we are each individually responsible for our behavior and actions. Further, we can discuss theory, and I can provide practical feedback using those theories, but at the end of the day, I cannot nor can any mental health professional change you. We can only provide you tools to make the changes yourselves. Having said that, this podcast will primarily consist of categorical interviews from both professionals and or experts in the field, as well as those with personal lived experience stories. But before I jump into format and what to expect, let me first tell you a little bit about myself. If you followed Fade to Gray long, much of this will be old news to you, but for those who are new and checking this out for the first time, my name is Seth. I am a 30-year-old gay man who lives in St. Louis, Missouri. Let me provide you a little background. I grew up in a small town by the name of Rockport. It's in northwest Missouri. 32 kids in my graduating class, and we were the biggest town in the county rockport was just an hour north of the nearest shopping center so you know like the only fast food restaurant in town was a mcdonald's and that was like the only one in the entire county must i say more i grew up in the middle of nowhere i participated in 4-h and would compete in the county fair by showing both cows and pigs we weren't full-blown country but just enough to get my feet wet and culturally assimilate me into farm life. Growing up, school was hard. Rockport had a great educational system. In fact, it was likely the best school in the Tri-County region. Now, I'm probably going to get some flack for that, but we were a good school. But the social scene there, especially for someone like me, well, let's just say that it was something to be desired. I was truly at a disadvantage though, so it's not all on them. I was in a car wreck at the age of 6 and spent 6 days in a coma. I had bounced back fairly, decently, but I wasn't working with all of the tools that my peers had. Managing my emotions, feeling secure in myself, and being confident in front of my peers were true challenges. As a result, I felt like I never fit in. I literally had lunches where I sat alone. Yes, we've all seen it in those videos. I was that guy, okay? That really happened. The loneliness that I went through during this time was immense. It it was very overwhelming and, and very difficult. As a result, that drew me to two things, family and my faith. My family became extremely important to me. Specifically, my extended family. I had an aunt by the name of Kelly, and I don't know how to describe this relationship other than to tell you that she was my light. She was my rock. Uh, Growing up, as soon as I turned 16, I would drive down there multiple times a week. And of course, I would always say that it was to hang out with my cousin Billy, but the truth of the matter is, I just wanted to hang out with my Aunt Kelly. Now, Let me back that up a little bit to say that I really did grow close to my cousins during this time. Both my cousins, Billy and Jordan, um, they mean the world to me and truthfully were some of my best friends in high school because I just didn't fit in in Rockport. And both my cousins went to another school. So, you know, they weren't a part of what I was going through. So I was able to really vent and spend a lot of time with them. And it meant the world to me but I also really liked hanging out with my Aunt Kelly. (laughs) We would watch movies and hang out, and uh, during the winter months, we'd always have a fire. It was a lot of fun. Family became my social circle. I didn't have friends that I hung out with after school. I mean, there were a few here and there, but no, I didn't relate to people, and I, I really relied on my family for a lot of that. In addition to this, my faith became critical. It became central to surviving the storm of loneliness in school. There were nights growing up, as soon as I turned 16, where I would drive to my small town church in an itty-bitty town. Literally, I don't even think it's called a town. I think it's a village. It's called Big Lake. And I would go there multiple times a week Generally, in the evening, um, when I've had a bad day, and I would, I knew where the key was. <laughs> I'd, oftentimes it was unlocked, but I would break into the church, I'd turn on the sound system, I'd turn on the mics, and I would sing worship music in the sanctuary by myself. I also would um, essentially practice sermons uh, where I would pace and preach. And then I also would have moments where I prayed and I would cry. And most of the time, I was praying that that God would change things, that things would improve, that either people started to accept me, or I learned how to appropriately act around other people, because that was a serious issue for me. This all became more complicated quite quickly (laughs) in in high school, and this was when I started to experience same-sex attraction. I don't know how much you guys have been involved in the church scene. If you've listened to Fade to Gray, I'm assuming you've probably been around the church scene a little bit. But it was very difficult because my faith was telling me that this was unacceptable. In fact, I remember growing up that I would even do things I shouldn't online, hint, hint, and I wouldn't even call that gay pornography. I, uh, it, it was so in the back of my mind, it was like, it was something else. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. I really don't know how to describe it. This feeling between what my faith says and what my gut and my heart and who I am says are different, that's that, that's a difficult thing for anyone to grapple with. Those feelings of being unlovable and like that there is something definitely wrong with you is is troubling. and. I'll be quite honest. I'll be frank. It's still something that I struggle with today. Just being honest there. When you believe in God with your whole heart, mind, and spirit, doing everything that you can to serve him, and then you look around in your community says that you are going to hell just by being who you are, that will shatter a person, specifically someone In adolescence. I find it unacceptable and the experience was extremely infuriating. For the longest time, I tried to make it so my sexual orientation and my religious belief system would align, but experienced great turmoil and stress in this process. It's kind of like trying to fit a square into a round peg. It just doesn't work. And in the midst of this inner struggle, I also began experiencing debilitating anxiety and major depressive episodes. Yeah, that's right. You heard it. I'm a mental health professional who not only has a history of mental health concerns, but still struggles with them today. I think it is so important that professionals mention this and call this out. But let me tell you a little bit about what it was like for me growing up. I can recount an experience at a state golf tournament in high school where I experienced a panic attack so bad, I thought I was going to die. I even had my parents take me to the emergency room. Have you ever felt like bugs were crawling out of your skin? It's an experience I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. That happened multiple times. I haven't had one in quite a few years, and I'm very thankful for that, but they're not fun. And when we talk about depression, My major depressive episodes primarily consisted of isolation, self-doubt, negative self-talk, and emotional outbursts with anger. I was truly a lot to be around. (laughs) That's funny. Hell, I still experience a lot of that. I am a joy, I tell you. Just ask any of the Fade to Gray crew. They will confirm. I still struggle with many of those issues. But let's get back to the story here. I was able to survive high school without too many scars. And due to realizing that I was having gay feelings or feelings of same-sex attraction or whatever terminology you want to use, I realized that that was a problem. And I really cared about God. In fact, I really wanted to go into the ministry. So right out of high school, I took on a year internship with a megachurch. It was essentially my private deal with God, which included, you know what? I'll serve you if you make me straight. Sadly, either he didn't hear me or he didn't care about these pleas, because after a year in ministry, I am still attracted to men, sadly. But I will say that it did a lot of good. And when I say sadly, I don't mean sadly. I mean that in a sarcastic way. But this year in ministry did do some good. I formed some incredible friendships, I genuinely feel like I helped struggling youth, and it led me to my true calling, which is social work. You know, the whole, my whole logic with that was, you know, you can't be gay in the church, you can't be a pastor and be gay, or if you are, you're hiding, and I did not want to do that. I did not want to hide. And so what is the closest thing to ministry that you can do in the secular world? Well, it's social work. So, I mean, if I can't be the hands and feet in church, I can certainly be the hands and feet in society and in the world. And so that is what my ministry track did. That is what a year internship did. It led me to the path of social work, and I'll never look back. From there, I went and finished my undergrad degree at the University of Missouri. And boy, was this a roller coaster. I lived my life on a very fine line between the conservative campus crusade Christian and the promiscuous, in-the-closet homosexual. Danger, danger, danger. Did I say danger? My depression really spiked, which inevitably led me down a dark path. I don't say this flippantly, but I had a period in time where I struggled with suicidal ideation and rampant substance abuse. When you try and try to be someone that you're not, it can and it will crush you. Please learn from my experience. You can't run from yourself. You can't be someone else. The key to being successful and to being happy and to being healthy is accepting who you are as a person and finding a way to live with it. Following college, I came out to my parents and I begged them to fix me. See, I hadn't fully learned the lesson yet. I'm a little bit stubborn. So three months in a Christian drug and alcohol rehab facility in California, mind you, that agreed to to not only get me sober, not that that was a super big issue. I just was making poor decisions. But, you know, to get me off alcohol, they agreed to do that, as well as providing me reparative therapy. Essentially um individual therapy geared towards deprogramming a homosexual into becoming straight. A lot of it is fear based, a lot of it is shame based, and a lot of it has to deal with like really breaking down the sight, smells, feelings That you've experienced in the gay community, and somehow trying to get you to look at that and then avoid that, and that's supposed to help you. I think it's a bunch of hoopla. It does not work, and it was not helpful. But there was some good to it. It really let me self reflect and process who I am. In fact, I wrote a journal. It's online. It's over 300 pages long. It's absolutely horrible, but it really was valuable in me expressing my feelings around this issue, and processing through what I needed to do next. If you can imagine this, I literally went to AA, or what's the Christian alternative? Celebrate Recovery? I would go to Celebrate Recovery meetings, right? And you know how you're supposed to introduce, like, Hello, my name is, insert your name, and I am a, insert your addiction? (laughs) So... Just picture this. Here I am sitting in a celebrate recovery meeting in California with a bunch with a room full of alcoholics and heroin users. I get up and I share with everyone, hello, my name is Seth and I am a recovering homosexual. You got it folks, I said that. I did that. Needless to say, all of these efforts were unsuccessful in making me straight. As much as I wished I could be someone I'm not, I failed at this task. No amount of willpower, prayer, speaking in tongues, studying, or therapy could make me straight. I am gay through and through, whether I like it or not. And if Jesus has a problem with that, then I'm just going to have to deal with it on the other side. But I can say this. If my sexual orientation is going to result in my eternal damnation, I can at least say that I did everything that I could. Almost 10 years of outpatient therapy, depressive rounds, substance abuse treatment, reparative therapy, prayer meetings, journal sessions. I, I, don't, I don't know what else God could ask. Um, outside of maybe electroshock therapy. I, I I don't know what else there is. So I can at least say that I did all I could. And after all that, I obtained my master's degree in social work from Missouri State University. And coming out of grad school, I had some very high and lofty dreams of changing the world. The problem with all of that while it is impossible to change the world, we can only change one life at a time, I was still not okay with being gay. Here, see, are you catching a theme in my life? In fact, my research study at Missouri State, to get my master's degree, we had to do a research study, and I totally did it on the effectiveness of reparative therapy. And my conclusions were not supportive. Uh, in that, they did not prove that it was effective. In fact, they proved that it was far more dangerous and very psychological damaging. But grad school led me down a dark path because I was not okay with who I am. And I could not keep a job after grad school to save my life. No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it. In fact, I remember seeing a therapist and I sat down in the meeting at our first at our first session. And I just sat there and I was like, listen, I'm a counselor myself, but I can't keep a job longer than a year. And as I near a year, I am starting to have serious anxiety, nightmares, and night sweats. I was not in a good spot. Things just weren't right. When you hate who you are inside, it's very difficult to find joy or lasting meaning in your life. It feels like things slip through your fingers and things just don't get done. At least, that was my experience. After multiple failed launches and having to move in with my parents multiple times, I took a job in St. Louis working for a crisis line. And this job was my transformation. In fact, it felt like I transformed the moment I started working there. It was as if I suddenly had meaning. I suddenly was able to use the skills that I had learned to actually help people. I was suddenly in a place where I could be a real help, and it was that, this ability to sit and talk with someone during the worst moment in their life that really opened my eyes to what was really going on in my own life. And I made it four years there, not only as a crisis intervention clinician on the phone, but also as a follow-up coordinator, where I followed up with individuals post-crisis to help them get linked to ongoing mental health services. That job shaped a lot of who I am today. And from there, I started working at a specialized behavioral health care insurance company. It has been one hell of a journey. I share all of this not to whine about my upbringing or, you know, say, woe is me or anything like that. But to establish an important point, we all experience mental health concerns to some degree, and we all have a story to share. Mental health concerns affect everyone, and we live in a world where trauma seems to be around every corner. So let's talk about this podcast and what you can expect in upcoming interviews. I want to bring you personal conversations with professionals in the field. I believe in sharing the knowledge and skills I have learned in my career that can actually help you. Knowledge is power, and when that power can save lives, I believe in sharing is appropriate. Therefore, this podcast will involve interviews with professionals in the field, not just mental health professionals, but even clergy. I want to provide you multiple perspectives from from people providing multiple types of services in the community. The interviews could be as simple as a review of what they do in their job, to reviewing the types of different clinical approaches that therapists use in therapy, to insight into important issues that impact us and our society. The second thing, I will be interviewing people to share their story. I believe that there is power in verbalizing your experiences. The goal in these interviews will be multifaceted. I want to provide a safe place for people to talk about their story, specifically what they have been through and how it has impacted them personally. By doing this, I want to normalize mental health concerns in an effort to destigmatize mental health issues. And lastly, I want such sharing to provide hope and healing to listeners who can identify. If you have a story that you'd like to share or a topic that you would like covered, please reach out to me. You can reach me at mental, M E N T A L, period, F-T-G, at gmail.com. Again, that is mental.ftg at gmail.com. To join this community, you can find me on Patreon at mentalwithseth.com. Membership in the community comes with perks such as a Facebook community, Marco Polo chat thread, free merchandise, and in the future, bonus content. I want to thank you so much for checking out the first episode of Mental. Until next time.